1: To the Thursday, July 9th edition of the OBR. This is Jake Burns, your host, here with Brent Sobleski. He's going to be joining me in just a minute to uh, chat about the myriad of different topics um, across the brown spectrum. But before we do, we want to talk about Blue Wire's connection with betonline.ag. Once again, make sure, I'm going to keep reminding you, go to betonline.ag, get that welcome bonus using the promo code Blue Wire. Really about to see some baseball, basketball, I think, here soon. Make sure you're out in front of the curve, get some money in there, bet on some futures as things trickle in, new information. Take advantage of those opportunities. Take advantage of the great welcome bonus at betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Welcome me in, Sobo. How are you, my man?
0: doing well. uh, As we sit here with another night discussing football, you know I'm always coming off the high of watching a little professional wrestling on Wednesday nights, which is the best night for pre- professional wrestling fans but it's my family sitting upstairs watching it and I'm not making this up the AEW puppy battle royale meaning they put little puppies in a, in a toy ring and see which one would last the longest in there to see who wins so man it's, it's the things that they do in that business are absolutely crazy but hey if they draw in casual viewers like my wife and my children good for them
1: how well how's it is it still it's obviously no crowds right how's that how's that been
0: well it just depends on how they've handled it um it, depending on your preference of uh promotion aew has been more proactive with keeping their wrestlers involved at least around the ring taking different camera angles to kind of the effect you don't have a full crowd wwe struggled a little bit at first uh, and then they put up essentially what became hockey glass and then put some of their trainees out to create crowd noise and whatnot. And they even had one match at, at Backlash, the, the previous pay-per-view, where they piped in uh, canned uh, uh, fans' roar and stuff like that, which took you out of the element, uh, element a, a little bit. But still, it just depends on what you prefer. And then it's it's really interesting because I know a lot of people don't come to listen to us about professional wrestling. I understand that, and it just happens that i watch right before we come and record this every week but the fact of the matter is it's actually a great litmus test for what the nfl's could potentially be undergoing here in the next few months because because of how they're handling these situations because pro wrestling will will most likely be the first sport depending again how you look on look at it that will host live fans again and so how they're handling this how they're preparing themselves how they're testing and, and what the potential infection rate is for those athletes in that, in that, in that genre is really uh, the front burner for what we can expect when it comes to the NFL, the layout of the league, and, and what we should see this fall. And so that's why, it's, even though it's something that I kind of talk about off the cuff, that you should maybe keep an eye on it and maybe not watching the shows, but just an understanding of the way they're trending as other sports try to come back into the fold.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of what I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, which is, you know, things shut down. Say wrestling shuts down. Say golf were to shut down. I thought there was a time where golf was looking a little bit dicey and uh, some others here in the States. And, you know, if basketball, baseball don't go well. Then you're looking at a tough situation for the NFL to just say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and plow through and just do this, especially, you know, as it's one of the more difficult sports to, to have any sort of social distancing in whatsoever. The, the goal is actually the antithesis of social distancing. You want to be close to people all the time. Yeah. Um, but, no, hey, I want to talk to you real quick. This this topic came up. I know you're an offensive line guru. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know a ton of offensive line into that, gurus. What's that? Before we go
0: that, Jake. that? I was going to say, before we go, go into that, and I don't mean to interrupt you, and I apologize for that, but uh, this is a subject that's uh, something that's, very prevalent now and, and actually is applicable to the Cleveland Browns when we're, we're discussing the ramifications of of this disease, and we, or excuse me, this this infection and the pandemic overall. A couple of things we learned this week, and I know I'm going off topic here completely and I'm probably catching you off guard, but at the same time, week one, Baltimore Ravens, Baltimore just put out news that they will only hold a maximum of 14,000 plus fans in their stadium to, to adhere to COVID-19 social distancing distancing rules. We also had this week J.C. Treder come out publicly as the president of the NFLPA, stating that the Players Association is not on the same page with the NFL when it comes to the preseason preparation coming, starting supposedly July 28th, the 48-day window that they want to maximize from a practice perspective, not wanting to play any preseason games, whereas the owners want to try and have at least – preseason games to recoup some of their some some of their money that they're going to be missing this season and so both those things are aren't just league-wide it's also specific to the Cleveland Browns and are directly tied into this entire conversation
1: well yeah it absolutely is and it'll it'll keep being fluid I mean I, I think since we've been home for this pandemic every month has seemed to bring about different challenges we didn't expect Start to see things trend down, maybe we expect it a little sooner, then all of a sudden you'll open some things up and trend. it turns the other way, and who knows where we will be at the end of this month. I mean, every week it seems like can, can alter things on the fly, and it's just a bizarro year in general, all, all around, and uh, we'll just keep our fingers crossed, man, because it's it's, uh, it's it's capricious, for lack of a better word there, that we, we just don't know when things shift with this disease, we don't know when things shift with the NFL, uh, especially watching other leagues, and that's a good thing, like you said, Brent, that they do have uh, the ability to stay out in front of, or not stay out in front, but but have examples put out in front of them of everybody trying to do it. And it's, you know, the Ivy League canceled fall sports today, and it just, you know, the Ivy League canceling their basketball tournament was what sort of started the trend of winter basketball shutting down before the country in, in general shut down. So college football becomes even dicier, and then, you know, it just uh, there's no supplemental draft and all of that stuff. I don't know. It's very weird. I mean, do you have anything else to add to that? I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I've talked about this too too much. People probably know my opinion, but if you have, if you want to add anything else to that, man, feel free.
0: Well, no, it's just that we don't know. And, and I, I go on radio shows, and they ask me what I think will happen. Well, what I think will happen is the NFL will try to plow forward, come hell or high water. That's the plan. But as we're finally seeing here in the past week, there may be be a little cracks in that foundation when it comes to alignment between the league itself it's 32 owners and the nflpa and that's really as baseball has taught us the most difficult hurdle to overcome and if that's the situation and the players start digging in their heels that plan of well we're going to have the nfl no matter what maybe a little more tenuous than we actually expected and i think that's why it was important to bring up simply because it was the first time because we've been in the offseason, because we're essentially in the dead period, where we're, where the NFL became what wasn't a certainty. I think a lot of us treated it that way, because it's the biggest professional sport in the country. It's, what, it's the most powerful professional sport in the country. You have 32 billionaires who are some of the most successful men in this country. And usually what they get, what they want, they get. And so, as such the fact that we may not have a season in its entirety or what we've grown accustomed to is becoming a very real possibility in short, short order. And I don't know, honestly, what to expect, Jake. And it's just something we have to play by year, day in and day out, and to listen to experts and what they believe is the best for everyone in these scenarios and the capability of actually trying to play a season, whether it's our normal season or a truncated version.
1: I saw today too, Brent, that they, uh, when the Ivy League canceled, and you're talking about money and this kind of piggybacks off that is uh, that the Ivy League generated thirty million off of their fall sports last year, and um, the Power Five schools generated just over one billion. So you're right, man. It's money. It's it's money, and people don't want to shut it down because money is involved, and and uh, you know and if they do ultimately end up shutting down. That probably tells you how serious this disease is. If you're on the outside of the belief circle, looking in, in which you can have whatever opinion you want on the whole thing, I couldn't conceivably care less. As long as you wear a mask, um, you know it's 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 uh it's just if they're passing up money, money like we know they love to make, then then that probably tells you that, that this is something serious that you need to be taken serious. So, look, I want to play football, man. I I want to see it. I think everybody wants to see it, but there's ultimately. A human element here, and J.C. is trying to appeal to that human element, and um, hopefully the NFL and the NFLPA can find the right middle ground on that whole thing, and and uh, yeah, I'm interested and excited, and hopefully it can it can, it can can pan out, and I, I, I was going to talk to you about Pro Football Focus's offensive line rankings, if you want to do that, I think this yeah, is absolutely. interesting. Um, I always kind of pay attention to these year-to-year, because it's so data-driven, and pass block win rates, and pressure rates, and all that stuff get tied into it. And I was very interested in where Cleveland would finish, or sorry, where they would have Cleveland heading into the year. I think they finished around 26 last year, so it was much lower than what they originally had them at the beginning of the year. Uh, Sorry, they finished 23rd in their their production rankings last year. Uh, So they kind of take every offensive lineman, look at their grades, look at the production, and um, how all those guys grade out, and then sort of pressure rates and all that stuff tie into it, and then they... They give you a metric of how, which offensive lines perform the best. So Cleveland was 23rd last year. I think they came in middle of the pack last year in their in their preview. And this year they're sixth. And uh, the only team the, the the AFC North was of interest to me. So both uh, Baltimore's five, so a spot in front of Cleveland. Pittsburgh's nine, and then uh, and then Cincinnati's all the way down to 31. Pretty much feels right to me. Uh, so what, yeah, what are your like immediate takeaways for the, the? I'll give you real quick before I let you jump. Jump in and take this one. Teams out in front of him. the Colts are first, Saints are second, Cowboys third, Packers fourth, uh, Baltimore fifth, Cleveland six, seven, New England eight, San Francisco, and then nine is Pittsburgh. And then to round out the top ten is the Eagles. So, take it, man. What are your immediate reactions to that?
0: Well, excuse me real quick. Who did you say was number one? I didn't quite catch it. That was the Indian- seen-
1: Indianapolis Colts.
0: Okay, well, that makes sense, so I can't argue that one but I mean, anyone who watches Quentin Nelson can see how good the entire unit is with him leading the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thought that came to mind when you are mentioning AFC North is the Baltimore Ravens being that high at this juncture. And the reason why I immediately jumped to that point is the one potential weakness for this team this year could be their offensive interior. Looking at center, you have Matt Skura coming off a season-ending injury. He's going to be in open competition with – Patrick McCarty, who finished a year at center, and former guard Bradley Bozeman. On top of that, you lose Marshall Yonda, who is a future Hall of Famer at guard. So, I, I the thing, I am a big advocate, and you know this, Jake, of having all the available information at your fingertips to make the most informed decisions. To me, that's, that's what intelligent people do in all walks of life, and to try to be able to create a situation where you're as prepared as possible for any situation and take and absorb everything to make sure you are ready. In this instance, from Pro Football Focus's standards, this is one of the things where I disagree with them to an extent, and mainly because a lot of their stuff is going to be individual-driven, because that's how they set up their database. And so when you look at it, the thing with offensive lines is you need to really invest in the potential cohesiveness and that's something that you can't necessarily grade it's it's not it's an, an intangible when it comes to the position and how to be successful in the NFL and i to give you an example uh, just from two super bowls ago when you had the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams playing each other first of all you had the best offensive interior in football in the New England Patriots that they consistently dominated at the point of attack because of those three guys playing alongside each other in the middle, and then you had the Rams who had uh, an offensive line with a starting five that literally started every single game together. And you just can't you can't quantify those things. It's it's not possible to do so. So in, in their evaluation, yes, you get the individual gradings um, and how they do in certain uh, minutia, whether it be pass rush or pass blocking win rate or just overall grade, and those are wonderful, and they're great to have, but at the same time, you have to wonder where these units stand as a whole, and the Steelers are a great example because this is a unit that played together year after year after year. Well, you have Ramon Foster retire this offseason. You're placing Stefan Wisniewski into that left guard, and he just came off a year where he started the Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs simultaneously, they decided to move their right tackle, Matt Filer, from right tackle to guard to compete for that position and hope one of their guys, whether it be Chukes Aquara, or uh, Zach Banner, a, a form, should be a familiar name for Cleveland Browns fans with his short time with the team, will take over on the strong side of tackle. And so you have to take all these things into consideration. And Cleveland's no, no different because looking at th- their roster, I think you're pretty set along the interior. I know a lot of people would say right guard is maybe uh, an open position. To me, it's basically Wyatt Teller unless someone knocks him out of that spot. That's the way I'm looking at it. So you're set along the interior, and they've all played together. Now, what goes on when you bring in a new right tackle? I'll be at the best tackle on the free agency in Jack Conklin, but he's still going to have to learn to play alongside uh, Teller or whomever wins that position. And then you still have Jedrick Wills, who we've had this conversation I believe he can make the transition from right to left side. It's not going to be automatic. There's going to be some growing pains. And as talented as he is, and I think he's going to be a great football player, you can't take you can't pull factor that out of the equation. You simply can't do it. It's a rookie playing a brand new position, and he's going to need help. And so, when you look at those type of ratings, I love to read them and I think it's they go into extensive detail of how they set up each team from around the league, but at the same time, you can't quantify everything when it comes to that specific position, because you have to have five men working cohesively on a down-by-down basis, and any breakdown at any point can blow up an entire play.
1: Yeah, I feel like the the preseason ones are so much individual projection, right, like looking at the pieces and how that all shapes, um, you know, individual grades can sort of shape what they think a collective whole can be, and then and at the end of the year, you have so much more data in terms of what the collective hole was able to do. So it's less individualized and more, this is what the offense produced, this is how we can justify ranking their line here, that kind of thing. I probably think that's a little too high for the Browns, including two of five spots are, are uh, sort of very questionable, and you have to see how it pans out, especially counting on a rookie tackle is tough, then counting on him to switch sides to a side he's never played before is also even tougher to have high expectations. And then, uh, you know, maybe White-Teller takes some steps in the right direction. And year three is typically where linemen tend to tend to have steps and, and break out if they're going to have that sort of productive down-the-line career. So hopefully that's there for White-Teller. Maybe Drew Forbes is able to anchor it. Who knows? Who knows where it goes? I would probably rank them a little lower. But seeing them sixth is pretty positive, right? In matches, you know, the Browns have one of the better uh, NFL skill set, you know, offensive personnel groupings. Uh, across the league, most times see those ranked. They're pretty high in that. So to see their offensive line ranked six has me pretty optimistic.
0: I think the best way to look at it, Jake, is they have the potential to be that good. Yeah, I think is the way we should discuss it. And looking at it from, from a schematic point of view, when you have a guy like Wills, it's going to affect how they open their season, especially on the shortened uh, preseason and training camp. I mean, when you have a rookie like that making that transition in this scheme, how often are we going to see the wide tight end lined up next to him? Go back to Jack Conklin early in his career when he was a supposed all-pro as a rookie and see how many times they had guys attached to his hip to make sure he wasn't being overwhelmed by the NFL's edge rushers. Yeah. How many times are we going to see bootlegs away from him as a blocker? How many times are we going to see pocket movement? How many times are we going to see all the 12 personnel in general on the field to try to offset in slow or play action to slow down the the pass rush in general and i think a lot of that's going to factor in just by having jedrick wills in the lineup it's not a slight against him from a talent perspective or what i believe he can become but at the same time a rookie nfl offensive tackle is a rookie nfl offensive tackle the potential is fantastic but you got to go out and prove yourself and they're going to try to exploit that weakness if they get an opportunity to do so I agree, man.
1: I agree. I think that the good thing about this ranking is this tells you where their ceiling can be, and that's a good thing you just touched on. That the last year's with the two offensive tackles they were starting last year, you were kind of like looking at a maxed out ceiling that was pretty low. The, the maybe maybe the the floor wasn't worst in the NFL, um, but the but the ceiling certainly wasn't high. With this group, the ceiling is much higher, and um, they have obviously a fantastic offensive line coach and a scheme that the guys are are pretty tailored to fitting. So. You hope that it all can work out, and I think that if this is the ceiling, if they can get to sixth and be around there by the end of the year, they finish the year this high. That means the offense was very good, which then equates to probably quite a few wins. So that will be exciting stuff. Sobo, anything to plug before we go, my friend?
0: Uh, nothing this week. Pretty light week. Like I said, it's a dead period. Uh, next week I'll get more into draft stuff simply because, and I'm not trying to push my work from other sites, but I will be publishing my first 2021 nfl mock draft that will be out monday and i might try to build upon that for the obr for a little extra coverage so we'll see how things go but something always to look forward to everyone loves discussing mock drafts and i'm sure i picked the wrong guy because that's just the way it works
1: never too early to pick the wrong guy right
0: yeah exactly and i'm an idiot i don't know what i'm talking about and i hate your team so there you go i got it all covered
1: all of it's covered you're the man Sobo. thanks for joining me
0: thanks jake have a good one man
1: All right, guys, thanks for joining this episode. We appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow with the Friday Film Room. Uh, Maybe talk linebackers. Who knows? Get John Stephenson in here. Uh, Big thanks to Sobo for joining us, and hopefully you guys are checking out all of the things we have at the OBR. I'll write up this offensive line stuff so you can read all about it. And make sure you're subscribing to this podcast, subscribing to all the Blue Wire podcasts. We have great stuff across the network. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your support. Until we talk tomorrow, go Browns.